Isn't it amazing that we're enjoying the Lord on a Saturday night? Hallelujah. You know, I know you heard me share this before, but I think I always enjoy it when I share it. So, uh, you know, I could never forget when I first received the Lord. I wasn't in the church life yet. I received the Lord. It took a, after a year, I came to the church life. But I remember one night, uh, it was Friday night. And uh, I don't know if you have this restaurant here in New Zealand. It's called TGIF. And that stands for Thank God It's Friday. And uh, I was just thinking, why don't they have TGIF? Thank God it's Monday. But, you know, everyone waits, for, especially on the campus. They all wait for Friday, you know. Well, I got saved. I began to love the Lord. Of course, I didn't know a lot, you know. Um, I didn't know I had a human spirit, but sometimes I'd accidentally you know, hit the switch, you know. But one night, it was Friday night, and I was sitting there, and I was, uh, I had I had my Bible open in this hand, had a glass of milk in this hand. All of a sudden, I looked at my Bible. I looked at the milk. I said, what has happened to me? <laughs> and then I said, praise the Lord. Obviously, that wasn't my habit on Friday night. An open Bible and a glass of milk. Well, here we are on Saturday night. We have an open Bible, and we have rivers of living water that we are drinking and and that are flowing out of our innermost being. Okay, saints, uh, we want to continue our fellowship in this meeting. And again, the general subject is living in the reality of the body of Christ by learning Christ as the reality is in Jesus. So we have this matter of learning Christ. Now, I'll read you the first line uh, of of the subject of this particular message. Learning the secret being to learn Christ. I'll just say that much. Paul said, I have learned the secret. And Ephesians 4, 20 and 21 says, it uses the term, learn Christ as the reality is in Jesus. But see, you have to connect these two portions of the word. I have learned the secret. We need to be those who are learning Christ, as the reality is in Jesus. So learning the secret being to learn Christ, as the reality is in Jesus, in order to live the life of a God-man, as the reality of the body of Christ. Remember, brothers and sisters, that the corporate living of the God-men is the reality of the body of Christ. That's why we have a book called The God-Man Living, so that we can enter into Christ's God-Man Living in the Gospels, which is the reality in Jesus. Then the spirit of reality guides us into that reality, reproduces that reality in us, so that we have a corporate God-Man living as the one new man, That is the reality of the body of Christ, and that will bring Christ back. That will prepare us to be his bride. Body, I'm sorry, did I lose? Okay. That will will build up the body of Christ. That will prepare us to be his bride, and that will usher in his kingdom to accomplish his eternal purpose. Now, let's come to Roman number one. And again, some of these things we repeat because... uh, you know, like Peter pointed out, he and I were in the life study of Ephesians in 1978, right, Peter? 
and we heard messages on learning Christ as the reality in Jesus, it was hard for us to grasp. So Brother Lee can't, would go back and repeat himself and repeat himself. And I don't think we still quite got it, but thank the Lord, 45 years later, here we are, and the folk, it is so clear. I believe it is so clear to us by the Lord's mercy. Okay, so Roman number one says the reality of the body of Christ is the reality in Jesus. And he says the reality in Jesus is the actual condition of the life of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels. The only life that is pleasing to God, very important, the only life that is pleasing to God is the life that is a repetition of the life Christ lived on earth. That's just wonderful, saying We can live a life that is pleasing to God by allowing the Lord to repeat his God-man living in us and through us for the building up of his body. Okay, now let's come to B. A life that experiences Christ in his experiences is a God-pleasing life. This is from this, this phrase, is from the life study of Leviticus. When I heard it, I said, wow, what does this mean? To experience Christ in his experiences. What this means, saints, is that all of our experience of Christ, our experience of Christ in his experiences, which we see in the Gospels. So our experience of Christ, in a sense, you know, are new to us, but they're not new to God because they're already the experiences of Christ in the Gospels. Then we need to experience him in his experiences so that he can re reproduce his God-man living in us and through us, the very God-man living that we see in the Gospels. So a life that experiences Christ in his experiences is a God-pleasing life. Such a life is a delight to God as he lives in us and through us. He repeats in us his life as recorded in the four Gospels. Saints, isn't that wonderful? He repeats in us his life as recorded in the four Gospels. So, saints, we already sang hymn number 403, and I hope we would we, that this would be, how do I say, a part of our prayer life, a part of our, you know, um, in Psalm 119, it says, um, says something like this, uh, that, uh, that, the, that the psalmist, he talked about the Lord's Psalms being his, uh, oh, I wish I could quote it exactly, but he says something like, uh, the songs in the house of my pilgrimage, the songs in the house of my pilgrimage. You know, we're, we're pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're passing through this earth. This is not our home. New Zealand is not our country. Our country is the new Jerusalem. You look at Hebrews 11, it talks about a better country. You look at, you know, it talks about the new Jerusalem, the Bible from so many angles. In Hebrews 11, when it says, they sought after a better country. That better country is the new Jerusalem. So, um, yeah, I really, I really enjoy that. You know, when, when Brother Lee gave the life study Colossians, he talked about, um, you know, he was, he was on these verses, seek the things which are above, 
where Christ is sitting in the heavenlies. And um, he said, uh, you know, the new Jerusalem is our country. The local churches are our embassies. Now think about that. You know, there's an American embassy in Wellington, right? Where's Sean? He's, is he, could he not make it this morning? No, he's with the children. He's in the right place. Okay. You're with the children. You're a real overcomer. Okay. Now, uh, you know, when you have an embassy in a city like Wellington, the American embassy, when I step foot into that embassy, I am on American soil. I'm on American soil. The local churches are the embassies of the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is our country. We step foot in this meeting. We are in the New Jerusalem. So the New Jerusalem is our country. The local churches are our embassies. And we are the ambassadors of Christ. We are the ambassadors of these embassies. We represent Christ and we minister Christ to others. Not only that, saints, we have a flag. We have a flag. And that flag is talked about in Exodus 17. When the children of Israel defeated Amalek, uh, I think they built an altar, I believe. The name of that altar was called Jehovah Nisi, or Nisi, N-I-S-S-I, which means Jehovah is our banner, which means the triune God is our flag. So the New Jerusalem is our country. The local churches are our embassies. We are the ambassadors of Christ, and the triune God is our flag. Not bad, huh? All of it's from the Bible. Okay, now, when we talk about a life that experiences Christ, not, you know what I was saying with him 403, saying, make this a part of your prayer life. You know, say, Lord, live yourself, Lord Jesus, through me. For my very life art thou. Listen, thee I take to all my problems as the full solution now. If you have any problems, don't raise your hand. Have you ever had any problems? Of course you have. I still remember being on a freeway, you know, not on a freeway, right before I got on the freeway in, in Dallas and uh, oh, I was having problems. And the Lord reminded me of this hymn, so I began to sing it. And I just prayed with all my heart. I said, oh, Lord, I take you as the full solution to all my problems right now, right now. So we need to have that in our conversation, with the conversational prayer life with the Lord. Now, saints, this life, this God-pleasing life, is signified in the book of Leviticus, chapter 1, by the burnt offering. Christ is the reality of the burnt offering. And, um, oh, it's just the, the, the type of the burnt offering is wonderful. And the burnt offering signifies signifies this. I want, I want to get this very exact. Um, Christ is the reality of the burnt offering. As a person who was absolutely for God and absolutely for God's satisfaction. So he lived a life on this earth that was absolutely for God and absolutely for God's satisfaction. Now, the type doesn't stop there. This is encouraging. The burnt offering also signifies the life in us, the life in us. Um, There's a life in us that is a repetition of the life of the burnt offering. So this life in us, listen, 
This is the life in us that enables us to live a life that is absolutely for God and for God's satisfaction. Isn't that wonderful? So you might think, oh, this is too hard. No, you have the life of the burnt offering in you. And that life enables you to live a life that is absolutely for God and for God's satisfaction. So you have these two typological aspects of the burnt offering. You get the first aspect, you might go, oh, no, I can never be absolute for God and for God's satisfaction. But there's a life in you that enables you to live a life that is absolutely for God and for God's satisfaction. All right, now C says the way that the Lord Jesus lived on earth is the way that the members of the body of Christ should live today. The reality in Jesus should be duplicated in his many members so that they may live corporately in the reality of the body of Christ. Now, now listen to this verse, John 14, 19. He says this to the disciples, Yet a little while, and the world beholds me no longer. But you behold me, because I live, you also shall live. What does that mean? You know, sometimes we take things for granted. Um, No, Caleb, what does that mean? Because I live, you also shall live. It's okay if you don't know. The best, listen, the best coworker is the coworker that learns how to say, I don't know. <laughs> that, that's a quote from Brother Lee. Okay. Uh, because I live, you also shall live. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Because I live in you, you also can live by me. Now, wonderful. Because I live in you, you also can live by me or because of me. All right, now let's come to Roman numeral two. The Lord's God, man living, constituted a prototype to his believers. This prototype is for the reproduction of the, of the God, man in the believers, this prototype. So when it says all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, this is Romans 8, 28. Now, many of our fellow Christians whom we love, we love unconditionally all the believers on this earth. When they, when they say all things work together for good, they apply it in a physical sense. Oh, I wrecked my car. But all things work together for good. The Lord will give me a BMW. He'll give me a, is that, they call that a Beamer, brothers? It's good you don't know it. You know, one time I said, we all need to be beamers. I was in Seattle. And and uh, the, the young people all started laughing. You know, because Isaiah 60, verse 5 says this, you shall see and you shall beam. I love that. We need to see Christ and we need to beam Christ into others. So I said, we all need to be beamers. I saw all the young people, a lot of them were laughing. I said, well, after the meeting, I said, why were you laughing? said, Brother Ed, a Beamer is a BMW. So we call BMW. I said, I don't mean a BMW. I mean a real Beamer who beams Christ in the people. Okay, so, but that doesn't mean that all things work together for good. I wrecked my car. I'll get a BMW. Uh, something bad happened in my house. The Lord will give me a bigger house. 
a better house. No, all things work together for good. That is, remember we said there are three kinds of good. One is the good and God's creation. When he created man, he said, very good. The second kind of good is the good of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is the, that good is the good, is hypocrisy. That good is the good of hypocrisy. And it comes out of the satanic life. You live a false good. Now, the third good is God himself. Only God is good. So, uh, Matthew 5, 16 says, let, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in the heavens. That's the third kind of good. That good is God himself. But we, when it says all things work together for good in Romans 8, 28, you have to go to verse 29 to see what that good means. Because in verse 29, he says this. He says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the good that the Lord is talking about in verse 28. The good there, all things. What does that mean, all things? All persons, all situations, all matters, all environments, all different kind of people. Maybe people you don't care for. Maybe your boss. Maybe you don't. Do you love your boss? Don't answer. You love your boss? I remember when I got saved, nobody loved my boss. When I got saved, I began to love my boss. Then what's going on there? I wasn't trying to love him. I just loved him. I prayed for him to get saved. You know, and um, anyway, um, all things work together for good. What is the good there? It's not that I, my boss, I get change the bosses and get a new boss, but it's so that I could be conformed to the image of the firstborn son of God. That is the good that Paul is speaking of here. Uh, and so, so Christ is the model. He's the firstborn among many brothers. I like that, many brothers. And all the brothers, which is all of us, brothers and sisters, we are being conformed his image, to the image of the firstborn son of God. And actually, that confirmation to the image of the firstborn son of God is our learning Christ as the realities in Jesus. Eventually, we're conformed to that mold. Okay, now, um, A says, originally, such a life was in an individual man, Jesus Christ. Now, this life is being repeated in many men who have been redeemed and regenerated and who possess the divine life. B says this, to follow Jesus is to be a Xerox copy of the first God-man. Isn't that wonderful? We need to pray, Lord, make me a Xerox copy of you. You know, it amazes me. You have the word Xerox copy right here in New Zealand. It's all over the world now. There's a company called Xerox. It's such a good company. They make copies of things. And so now Xerox copy is a, is a universal vocabulary word, right? I want a Xerox copy. That means an exact copy. So to follow Jesus is to be a Xerox copy of the first God man. You know, a Xerox copy doesn't mean something new. 
It means an exact reproduction. You know, our third president in the United States, his name was Thomas Jefferson. He invented all these different things in his home. His home's called Monticello uh, in Virginia. He invented this writing instrument, quite ingenious. Okay, he has this pen like this. And then there's this um, device like this. It has another pen on the end of it. While he's writing, this pen is writing the same thing on another sheet of paper. Now, is that amazing or what? You see, that's what the Lord is doing. He's, he's anyway, we're the living letters of Christ, right? We're his reproduction. We're his Xerox copy. We'll talk about this later. But, you know, someone gave me a pen. I wish I had it with me. And there were two sides of the pen. Each side of the pen had a, it was a dual ballpoint pen. This side of the pen, this side of the pen. And, you know, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 3. He said, you are our letter inscribed in our hearts, known by, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ ministered by us, inscribed not with ink, with the spirit of the living God. Now, you put these two verses together, 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3, and what you see is that while Paul was inscribing Christ on the Corinthians, that Christ was being inscribed on him, the same Christ. So you had two original copies of the same letter of Christ. Be manifested that you are a letter of Christ ministered by us. Uh, I'm sorry, you are a letter of Christ inscribed in our hearts. You see, that letter got inscribed in the apostles' hearts. And that letter included the Corinthians. How did that happen? Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ ministered by us, inscribed. We inscribed you, not with physical ink, but we inscribed you with divine and mystical ink. What is divine and mystical ink? It's the spirit of the living God. We inscribed you with the spirit of the living God to make you living letters of Christ. And if you're a letter of Christ, people can read Christ in you. People can know Christ in you. So while Paul was inscribing Christ on the hearts of the Corinthians, Christ was being inscribed on his heart. You see, with them, with them, they were in his heart. The Christ inscribed in them was in him, in his heart. And the Christ he inscribed into them caused caused him to be in their hearts. You see what I mean? That's the real New Testament ministry. When you are in the hearts of the ones whom you're ministering to, and they're in your hearts. Anyway, think about it. You can read, I know that sounds very deep, but you have the life studies. You can read all the life studies on 2 Corinthians 3, and uh, it, it will show you this. Okay, now, uh, so we have a Xerox copy of the first God-man, as God-men, we should live as divine and mystical persons. Everything in our living should be divine and mystical. What does that mean? Mystical means mysterious. We should be mysterious people. People shouldn't be able to explain everything about us. Uh, Caleb, people look at you, they say, there's something different about Caleb. He's a mystery to me. 
Um, you know, um, you know, brothers, listen, uh, you have the mystery of God, Christ. You have the mystery of Christ, the church, right? You have the great mystery, Christ and the church. So this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Christ is the mystery of God. The church is the mystery of Christ. And the great mystery is Christ and the church. So saints, we are a mystery. We're, we're very mysterious. Did you know that, Henry? <laughs> you are a very mysterious person, brother. Brother, brother, do um, uh, do you you, you probably work right? What what's your job? You're a teacher. I love teachers, brother. You know why? Because I was a teacher. I bet you're a mystery to your students. I bet they say, and what's your last name, Henry? L-I-U. Do they call you Mr. Lou? Mr. Lou. You know, I taught international students. They come in the door. Instead of calling me Mr. Marks, they say, hello, Mr. Ed. I said, don't call me Mr. Ed. I said, in the United States, there was an old television show called Mr. Ed. And Mr. Ed was a talking horse. Of course, they laughed, you know. I can still hear the tune. Do you remember this, sisters? Mr. Ed? Okay, anyway. But that was their, you know, you know, they were from the Middle East, and that was their way of respect. They call you Mr., and they call you by your first name. But they don't call you Mr. Henry, right? They call you Mr. Lou, and you're a teacher. But Henry, whether you realize it or not, you're a mystery to your students. They, I know that there's something in them that says, you know, there's something about Mr. Lou that I can't quite put my finger on. Why is he happy so much? Why is he happy all the time? The world is a sad place, but Mr. Lou is happy. Something's going on here. Now, let me back this up. I love John 3.8. John 3.8 says this, the wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Then the note says this, I like this. A regenerated person is like the wind, which can be recognized, but which is beyond understanding. Even so, it is a fact of reality. So the wind blows where it wills. You can hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going. I always felt like that when I was around Brother Lee. I didn't know where he was coming from, and I didn't know where he was going. You know, uh, he was just such an amazing, uh, I'm sorry, it's hard for me not to say things about Brother Lee at times because I served under him, and I was with him organically. We all have our different functions. But my function was to serve him in an organic way, and so I had an organic relationship with him, and he was such a God man, you know. I mean, all of these words on these outlines come from him. And uh, I just remember uh, many, many times I'd be sitting next to him in the co-workers meeting, and he would say something like this. He goes, you know, Buzz, I really see something new that I want to share with the whole recovery tonight. I'm sitting and go, Lord, what does Brother Lee see, Lord? You know, you knew where he was, you knew, you didn't know where he was coming from or where he was going. He was a mystery. 
So is everyone born of the Spirit. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Oh, brothers, let me just give you another example, Brother Lee. Uh, okay, Brother Lee made a decision to do something. And there were a group of coworkers who, who felt, Brother Lee doesn't have all the information to make this situation, so we're going to set him right. Uh, we're going to give him statistics. And we're going to give him these statistics. And when we give him these statistics, he's going to go, oh, now I see. I shouldn't have said that. Well, they, they were doing this. I said, I'm not having any part of that. No way. No way. And so they got all their statistics together. They brought them to Brother Lee. Brother Lee said, stop. I don't need those statistics. I can smell something. I can smell something. Now, what did Brother Lee mean? What he meant was at the end of Song of Songs, it says the Lord's loving seeker has a nose like the Tower of Lebanon. That's a big nose. She has a nose like the Tower of Lebanon. Of course, that's typological. She has a nose like the Tower of Lebanon, which means she has a high and sharp sense of spiritual discernment. That's why Brother Lee said, I could smell something. I could smell something that's not quite right. What I go by is not statistics. What I go by is my inner sense of high and sharp discernment. Man, when he said that, I could smell something. I, inwardly, I just went, oh, I am glad I didn't participate in those statistics. You know, I just had the feeling, do not do that, Brother Ed. Okay, now, uh, and I don't fault my brothers for doing that. I hope they all learned a lesson. I, I I didn't check with them, but I hope they learned a lesson. Don't bring stats to Brother Lee when he says something. He can smell something when he says things. Okay, now let's come to see. The reality of the body of Christ is the corporate living by the perfected God men who are genuine men, yet who do not live by their own life, but by the life of the process God whose attributes are expressed through their virtues. Now we come to Roman number three. Saints, this is a major part of the burden of this message. It says this, Paul was a pattern of learning the secret of how to take Christ as everything. The secret of experiencing and enjoying Christ in everything and in every place. This is to learn Christ as the reality is in Jesus. So we thank the Lord we have Paul as our pattern. If we didn't have Paul as our pattern, we wouldn't know how to take Christ as everything. Here's a person who knew how to take Christ as everything. Here's a person who learned the secret. He said, I have learned the secret. What was that secret? It's the secret of experience and enjoying Christ in everything and in every place. And it says, this is to learn Christ as the reality is in Jesus. So in Philippians 4.12, Paul says, I have learned the secret. I love that. I have learned the secret. Wonderful. Uh, both to be filled and to hunger, both to abound and to lack, I am able to do all things in him who empowers me. And then in Ephesians 4, 20 through 21, he talks about learning Christ which is learning the secret, learning Christ as the reality is in Jesus. Now, in 1 Timothy 1.16, this is a great verse, because in this verse, here's what Paul says. 
He says, because of this, I was shown mercy, that in me, the foremost, what Paul was saying, I'm the foremost sinner. So Paul had mercy. I mean, Lord had mercy on me. He converted me to Christ. So that in me, the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display all his long suffering. Listen to this, for a pattern to those who are to believe on him unto eternal life. So Paul, the Lord converted Paul to himself, to Christ in a, in a, uh, how do I say it? In a marvelous way, in a miraculous way, in a spectacular way. There's, ne- there's never been a conversion like this. Uh, in, personally, I, I, I'll say this. There will never be a conversion like this ever in the history of mankind. That is the conversion. There are three life study messages in the life study of Acts called the conversion of Saul. I encourage you to read those prayerfully. Paul's conversion experience is is recorded three times in the book of Acts, which shows you how important it is. Three times his conversion experience is recorded. And there's so actually in his conversion experience, uh, it was a zip file that included all of God's eternal economy. I can't get into it. I'll get too excited and we'll get we'll we'll go into another realm here. But I could give a message on Saul's conversion right now, but I'm not gonna do it. Okay, don't worry. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna finish in plenty of time. Okay, now so Paul is our pattern. Now let's come to A. And we'll talk about how to shepherd people. How did Paul shepherd people? The best way to shepherd people, to cherish and nourish them. Now, what is to cherish people? To cherish the saints. Uh, Caleb, do you know what it means to cherish the saints? Okay. You're a good coworker. <laughs> okay. Listen, to cherish, to cherish the saints, I love this, is to make them happy. When you shepherd people and you cherish them, not by slapping them on the back, saying, cheer up, brother Ed, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. What cherishes people is the presence of Jesus. When you bring the Lord's presence with you to someone, that becomes the cherishing factor that cheers them up, that makes them happy. Just consider, saints, what what makes us happy? It's the presence of God. It's the presence of Jesus. So uh, when we shepherd people, we have to cherish them first, and then our making them happy, our making them feel comfortable and pleasant, gives us the base to nourish them with Christ as their element, as their spiritual food. Uh, you know, I have, as you know, I had four little boys, and you know, if you're going to feed little boys, um, Especially my wife, when we first got married, she was a nurse, and she'd go to work, and I would just go, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. My wife's at work, especially if she worked at night, all night. Oh, my goodness. I'd pray, oh, Lord Jesus, I just pray I don't have to change a diaper tonight. You know, I'm sorry. I was a bad boy. You know, shouldn't pray prayers like this, but I did. I did. And we didn't have pampers then. So we had cloth diapers. And so... Uh, you know, 3 a.m., boom, I got to change the diaper. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, change the diaper. I'm using pins and everything. Ruthie comes home from work. She goes, what did you do to my son? You know, it's like, 
the diaper looked like a straitjacket or something, you know. Why well, I'm glad I'm glad the Lord came up with pampers. Very simple. Very simple. Okay, but okay. What was I I'm talking about my little boys again. I got off in the diapers. Okay, let's come back. You have to cherish your little boys so that you can nourish them. And I remember they had Gerber baby food. Do they still have Gerber here? Gerber bottles, right? And Gerber bottles, you know, sometimes it's bananas. You know, it's all kind of, it's all baby can eat it. Sometimes it might be strawberries, um, you know, a lot of good fruit. Sometimes the Gerber baby, baby bottle is green. It, I don't know what's in there, but it's good for, it's good for the baby. But whenever I would try to feed my little boy that green stuff in that Gerber baby bottle, he was like this. There was green stuff all over his mouth. He would not open his mouth. No, I, no one taught him. No one taught him. I couldn't say, now listen, this is good for you. It wouldn't work. So I had to cherish him. How did I cherish him? I took the, I took the spoon. <laughs> And I put the green stuff. I still don't know what the green thing was. I took the green stuff. I put it on the spoon and I pretended like it was an airplane. And I went, Ooh. he went. <laughs> so I cherished him by doing that. Gave me the way to nourish him. You know, many times we come to the meeting and the Lord's trying to nourish us. And we're like this. Am I right? Sometimes we don't want to be. Oh, Brother Ed Sharon, he offended me in 1968. I'm not that open to him, you know. You know, you know. Some, I'm sorry, you know, I'm being real here. Um, you know, but here's what happens in the meeting. The Lord's presence comes in and he cherishes us. So we're no longer like this. Our mouth is. We get nourished. Isn't that true? We enjoy his cherishing presence so that we can enjoy his nourishing element. Now, what does that mean? The best way to shepherd people, nourish and nourish, nourish them, is to give them a proper pattern. You have to give people a proper pattern. Listen to this. This is remarkable. Paul fed his spiritual children with his own living of Christ. That's how he fed his spiritual children. He fed them with his own living of Christ. Now you can see this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, which is a epistle to new believers. So he says to them, he says, um, okay, I'm going to just say this. He says, you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You see what kind of men they were among Thessalonians is what cherish the Thessalonians, is what nourishes the Thessalonians. He says this, you know, you yourselves know, brothers, our entrance toward you, that it has not been in vain. Now I'm going to skip over. Even as you know, in Philippi, we talked about what happened to Paul in Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much struggle. For our exhortation is not out of deception nor out of uncleanness, nor in guile. But even as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel 
So we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who proves our hearts. See, again, we need to pray over these verses, uh, brothers and sisters. We need to pray, Lord, uh, make me a person who is approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Um, and when I speak, Lord, I don't want to be a man pleaser. When I speak in a meeting, I don't want to have an amen meter on. You know the amen meter? You speak and it goes, amen, it goes to 10. You know, when you're a new one, the amen meter always goes to 10. You say, God, God, goo, God, 10, amen. You know, you know, when a, when a, when a baby's little, you, you say, daddy, daddy, daddy. You know, whenever I would say, daddy, 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 my little boys would go, mama, mama, mama. I couldn't get him to say that at first. They always said, mama. Okay, but anyway, it doesn't matter what the little baby says, you're happy. The baby says nonsense syllables. You're, oh, look, my baby talked. It's like that in the church life. You're a new one. What what you say, you, of course, you have to say, uh, you have to do your best to speak Christ. But many times, new ones, they speak, it doesn't make any sense. But what happens? Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Now, if you're in the church life for five years, and you speak the same thing you spoke when you were first saying, Gaga Guga. I'm using baby language. Gaga Guga. You know what? The amen, I'll go, amen. Amen. Just that much. Half of a, half of a degree. Half of a decibel instead of 10 decibel. You know, but saints, we shouldn't have an amen meter on when we're sharing. You know, when we shouldn't have, oh, look, when Henry spoke, he got nine on the amen meter. When I spoke, I got only got three on the amen meter. Now, why would I shouldn't compare myself to Brother Henry? We shouldn't care about the amen, the amen meter should be out the window. I'm not here to flatter men. I'm not here to please men. I'm here to please God. Sometimes when you speak, when you minister the word, you have to speak a real serious word. You have to speak words of warning. And they said there might not be a lot of amen. Those words of warning can preserve the brothers and sisters for the rest of their lives. You see, so we shouldn't go by that. We're not here to please men. Uh, okay, let me go on. Nor did we seek glory from men, neither from you nor from others. Now listen to this. We were gentle in your midst as a nursing mother would cherish her own children. I love that. Paul was gentle in the midst of these new ones, just like a nursing mother would cherish her own children. You know, of course, as you know, I was a dad, and I had four boys, and uh, and um, four little boys, and they were little, and I was able to hold them. But now I have grandkids. I, When they were first born, I was so afraid to hold them. I don't want to drop them. You know what I mean? So my, my son says, here, Dad, hold your grandchild. I said, whoa, wait a second here. You know, <laughs> Lord Jesus, I held that baby. It was like, oh, my goodness. Like I'm holding the Hope Diamond or something. You know, whatever you do, don't drop this baby. When Paul says, we were gentle in your midst as a nursing mother. You know, a nursing mother, she's very gentle with her baby, with her babies. She cherishes them as a nursing mother, cherishes her own children. That's how we should be with the new one. Don't be so rough with the new ones. You see, be like a nursing mother. 
you know, when you have a little plant, now let me use the biological realm. If you have a little plant, it's a brand new plant. Sometimes we just say, you need to see the high peak of the divine revelation, blah, blah, blah. And we pull out the fire hose. And the plant's gone. We just blasted the plant away. Sometimes we just need to take out a pair of tweezers with a little living water in it. Oh, brother, you need to call in the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, do it. You see, call on the Lord's name. Lord Jesus. Uh, then we get more water, and more water, and more. You see what I mean? We have to cherish the new saints among us as a nursing mother will cherish your own children. Then he said this, we yearned over you in such a way that we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own souls, because you became beloved to us. You became beloved to us. So we didn't just impart the gospel to you in words, we imparted our own souls to us because we loved you. We loved you. See, so like uh, picking up, picking up some brothers to bring them to the meeting, that, that means you imparting your soul to these brothers. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you cook a meal and you have some new ones over or you have saints over, that means you're imparting your soul. To these, to these saints and these, these uh, brothers and sisters because you love them. You love them. You know, um, we imparted to you also our own souls. You know, when you cook a meal, your soul is in that meal. That's how I feel. You know, when, when my wife and I first came into church life, we had saints over all the time, all the time. And when you cook for the saints, uh, you know, Peter, look at all that those different dishes the saints cooked at your home today. They're, they poured out their soul into that food. That sister who cooked that na those nachos, the nacho beef and the nacho, oh, that was so delicious. Uh, uh, she's probably here. She put her soul into that, you see? Sometimes, listen, brothers, I just want to tell you young brothers here. You can have, yeah, all four of you brothers. All four of you brothers. What's your name, brother? Alan. I'm sorry, my hearing's bad. Alan? Oh, what a name. Alan. Ezekiel. Ezra, that's right. Not Nehemiah, but Caleb. Right? Caleb. Okay, you four brothers. You're single brothers. You can have people over. You can have the saints over. Can you believe that? You say, hey, Brother Ed, I can't cook. Can't you make a hot dog? <laughs> you, listen, in Houston, the young single brothers, they said, Brother Lee, we want you to come over and eat with us. You know what they made for Brother Lee? Hot dogs. <laughs> hot dogs. And Brother Lee was eating. He says, oh, brother, these hot dogs are delicious. <laughs> listen, when you invite the saints over to eat, of course we care about the food, but we don't really care about the food. We care about the fellowship. The eating the food together is an excuse for us to fellowship. So, brothers, don't just remember that. You get a little older, you want to invite these brothers over to eat, you can cook some hot dogs for them. <laughs> and they and they listen, when you invite them over, they'll throw they'll throw all their dietary restrictions out of the window. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. But it shows the kind of God man brother he was. He had hot dogs. He wanted to be with the young brothers. Okay, now, um, not only was Paul like a mother to the Thessalonians, he was like a father to them, exhorting you and consoling you and testifying to you so that you might walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the mother cherishes the children as a nursing mother. Paul was like that. Paul was also like a father exhorting his children, consoling his children, and testifying to his children. That's what a father does. He exhorts the children. He consoles the children. Isn't that wonderful? He consoles them. And he testifies to the children. You know, it's amazing to me, the different roles of a mother and a father. Sometimes my boys, they'll come, like my second boy, you know, he has children. He'll come to our house, and I'll sit with him for a while, and I'll be fellowship with him. So good I can fellowship with my son now. You know, it used to be, hi, Dad. You know, oh, listen, not only that, he got saved. He came in the training. He said, Dad, you can't believe what Brother James Lee shared with us. I'm thinking to myself, I shared that with you a long time ago. You know, your children, eventually, the saint, that the saints can care for them in a way that you can't care for them. You can care for them up to a certain point, and then they can take over, you know. So um, uh, I still, I still, I can, I can still hear this, you know. They go in the other room, and Ruthie's there with my son. He's their mom. He's telling his mom all this stuff. And I realized he didn't tell me all that stuff. I can't, I can't hear what he's saying, but he's t- when I come in the room, he talk, stops talking. <laughs> because he feels like he can tell his mom things he can't tell me because his mom is like, a, it cherishes him. His da- I wouldn't say his dad doesn't cherish him, but his dad is more like this. Aaron, you need to do this. You need to do that. See what I mean? Come on, Aaron, shape up. <laughs> no, not like that. I love Aaron, my son. But uh, anyway, it's so funny. I love Aaron so much. You know, I'll say something like them, you know, about some something about, I, I tell them a story about, and he said, they say, Dad, we know that. We've already heard that, Dad. You know, you can't believe what James Lee shared with us. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, now let's come to the next the next point. The apostles, not only this meeting is going to end at seven thirty, right? Oh, I'm sorry. It started at seven thirty. <laughs> if it ends at seven thirty, I'm in big trouble. Okay, it ends at nine thirty. Okay, so you'll have plenty of time to share. The apostles not only preached the gospel, but also lived it. Isn't that wonderful? You know, when you sing these hymns, one by uh, one by Emmy Barber, one by Witness Lee, you realize these, this sister and this brother, they live this. They live these hymns, you know. And so the apostles not only preached the gospel, but they lived it. Their ministering of the gospel of God was not only by word, but also by life that displayed the power of God. 
a life in the Holy Spirit, and in the assurance of faith. Now, listen, I said this already. Paul said, you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. See, it shows, what does it show? Come to two. In the church, the most important thing is the person, is the person. The person is the way, and the person is the Lord's work. What you are is what you do. What you are is what you do. The overflow of life is work. The work should be our living. What you are is what you do. Um, You know, we've got these verses from Acts 20 uh, on your whole uh, course of verses here. Paul says this. I'm just going to just highlight a few of these verses. First, he says, he says this. He said, I was serving the Lord as a slave with all humility and tears. He served the Lord with tears, with tears. And then later he said, I did not cease admonishing each one of you with tears. You can never forget brotherly saying this. If you want to be an apostle, learn how to weep. Learn how to weep. That means Paul's heart. He loved these dear brothers and sisters so much that when he spoke to to them, he was serving the Lord with tears, with tears. Um, then he says this. He said, I did not withhold any of those things that were profitable to you by not declaring them to you and by not teaching you publicly and from house to house. What does that mean? Paul spoke publicly in the, in the church base. We need, to, we need to speak publicly when we prophesy. We're speaking publicly. We also need to speak in our homes. Uh, and and if, if necessary, we should go. I remember Benson and I saying, we want to go from house to house. You know, Brother Lee did that in the church in Anaheim when he was establishing the vital groups. He wanted to visit each of the groups in their homes. Still remember, he came to our home to see the condition of our group to take our temperature. I still remember, he said, Brother Ed, what should we do? I said, well, really, maybe we should pray. He said, you're right, we should pray. <laughs> Reason why I said maybe we should pray is because in the previous meeting, he said, in the vital groups, we, groups, we should have much and thorough prayer. So I knew what to say. I think we should pray, Brother Lee. He said, yes, you're right, Brother Ed. Okay, so we prayed. So Paul taught publicly. Paul visited the homes of the saints. He went from house to house. You know, one of the things that the Lord told the responsible brothers. He said, have the saints over to your house for meals. Have the saints over to your house for meals. That shouldn't be just the responsible brothers. Like I said, brothers, have the saints over for some hot dogs. Maybe you could do a little better. Maybe you can get a box of macaroni and cheese. Read the directions. You know, I really like Kraft macaroni and cheese. Do they have that here? You haven't. But probably you don't eat it because it's not healthy. Do they have crap macaroni and cheese over here in New Zealand? It's in a box. Okay, don't eat it. It's not so healthy for you. But I eat it. It's, it's, I don't eat it all the time, but it's the treat for me. I said, Ruth, can I have some crap macaroni and cheese? Uh, you know, Kraft Company. That's a worldwide company. 
Well, they make macaroni and cheese. It's in a box. They have the cheese in there, the macaroni in there. Give it a try. If you want to have a treat, just have it one time a year. Okay. Uh, okay. Anyway, he said, invite the saints over your home for meals. He told the responsible person to do that because it will shepherd the saints if you do that. Not only that, visit the saints in their homes. Visit the saints in their homes. Go from house to house. And then Paul said this. He said, um, I did not cease admonishing each one with tears. So here you have three levels. Paul taught publicly. Paul taught from house to house. Paul admonished each one of the saints with tears. That means he contacted the saints personally, one-on-one, one by one. Contact the saints one by one. You know what brother he said one time? He said that personal contact with a brother or sister is better than 10 messages. But And that, that's our experience. Henry, haven't you been shepherded by a brother? Wasn't that better than 10 of Ed Marks' messages? Of course it was, brother. I'll answer for you. Yes. Sometimes a brother calls us. You know, sometimes, of course, Brother Dick Taylor, he's very weak now, but when he was stronger, he would call me on the phone. I'd be, I'd be on, you know, in my house, phone and ring. This is the kind of phone that you had to pick up, you know, we picked up the phone. She said, Eddie, Dick Taylor's on the phone. I went, oh, Lord Jesus. I, I realized when I said, oh, Lord Jesus, that meant when Dick called, I was not in my spirit. You see what I mean? I got exposed because Dick called. So Dick brought me into my spirit. I said, oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. I need to talk to Dick. Oh, Lord Jesus. Hello, Brother Dick. <laughs> and Dick always shepherded me. Dick would always shepherd me. We need to shepherd one another. Saints, all of us need shepherding. Alan, do you know all these brothers need shepherding, these three brothers? They all need shepherding. They need you to shepherd them. You know, even in the human realm, my boys, if they saw, like my youngest boy, his name is Daniel, and he's going to get married. Ruth and I are so happy about this. Oh, my goodness, what a miracle. (laughs) Going to get married. And I can say it from the podium now. Now, I hope so, Ruthie, right? It's all over the internet. So, you know, hallelujah. Uh, I said something about it one time. I kind of hinted at it before they were actually engaged. Ruthie said, what did you do? What did you do? And and anyway, I I, kind of leaked something out there. But now it's okay. Uh, He's going to get married. And... uh, you know, I told Ruthie, Ruthie's been praying for a year that our boy would be married. And I told her, I said, you know, Ruth, all those prayers you prayed, Brother Nee said, our prayers, if you put a scale out, our prayers are like you put a card on this one side of the scale. You put another card, that's your second prayer. You put another card, that's your third prayer. Another card, that's your fourth prayer. Card, the card, the card. Looks like nothing happens. Eventually, you put another prayer on there. Boom, the scale tips. Danny's getting married. (laughs) She said, Eddie, I never saw that before. That's exactly what happened. Of course, this is an illustration from Brother Nate. 
But my youngest boy was so precious to me because he would, I realized he's looking at me. He felt like I was sad. And I'm sitting at the table. I don't realize I look sad, but I'm sad. I'm probably thinking about the problems in the church life, you know. You know, the church life, again, is not a utopia. There's always, there will always be issues and problems and things. So I guess I was sitting there. I didn't look so happy. So Danny comes up to me. He puts a can of Coca-Cola in front of me. He said, cheer up, Dad. You know what my wife said? Get that can of Coke away from your dad. She took the can of Coke away. After when she was out of, when she couldn't see us anymore, I said, Danny, bring the can of Coke. <laughs> but my point, my point is saints, he wanted to shepherd me. That was his way of shepherding me. See, we need to be shepherded by our sons, by our children, by our, you know, like, okay. Here we're showing up. We visited Brother Lee at the end of his life. And uh, and um we were some of us, there were a group of us that were having group meetings with Brother Lee when he was very ill. But it got to a point where he got so ill that there was a sign on the door that said, No one is allowed. You know, no one's allowed. Everyone keep out, don't knock on the door. And so uh one morning I prayed. I said, Lord Jesus, I just want to see Brother Lee one more time. Is there any way you can work this out? So I went to the office and I knocked on Andrew's door and Andrew said, Ed, come in. What do you want? I said, Andrew, I prayed this morning that I could see Brother Lee again, but there's a sign on his door that says no one is allowed. Don't knock. Andrew said, forget about that sign, Brother Ed. Go over there and see Brother Lee. I said, can I take Carrie with me? Yes, take Carrie with you. So Carrie and I drive over there together. It says, no one is allowed. We're looking at the sign. But we knock on the door. Instead, we go, knock, knock. We knock on the door. This brother opens the door. Who's taking care of Brother Lee? Uh, Peter, you know Tom Dvorak, right? Tom Dvorak really took care of Brother Lee, in the, you know, physically. Tom opens the door. Tom's like, brothers. I'm so glad you're here. Come on in. You know, he, because he was taking care of Brother Lee, I realized when I, you know, when I look back, he felt like Brother Lee needed to be cheered up. And, and you know, Brother Lee is like a five talented member, but still we're his children, we're his sons. So Gary and I come in, Brother Lee has an IV in his arm. He's, he's, his, his eyes are closed and Tom whispers in his ear. He says, Brother Lee, Ed and Carrie are here. He looks up and he looks at Carrie and I. He said, what do you brothers want? Because we always wanted something when we went to see Brother Lee. He goes, what do you brothers want? I had to hold back tears the whole time I was there. I said, Brother Lee, we don't want anything. We just love you and we miss you. We love you and we miss you. And so... We were in tears, and he was, he had tears in his eyes. So I didn't know. And then I said, oh, Lord, what are we going to do now? <laughs> you know, and Carrie really had the Lord's leading. Carrie said, Brother Lee, let me tell you about the article that I'm writing for affirmation and critique. So he, he told Brother Lee about this article he's working on, which is Brother Lee's commission. He wants, you know, to put out affirmation and critique, especially Carrie. Carrie has a particular portion 
And after Carrie got done sharing with him, Burley said, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Then, then I, then I was really before the Lord. What should I share? And I said, Burley, you know, you were talking about how we all need to be blended together. I said, Burley, it's a miracle. The coworkers are starting to be blended together. The coworkers, Burley, because I asked Burley earlier, I said, Burley, what about the coworkers being blended? Said, oh, brother, Ed, this is very difficult for the coworkers to be blended. You know, because what the coworkers would do in the past, we'd all listen to Brother Lee, and then we would all go our different ways and try to work out what Brother Lee said, but we were never blended together. And so I said, Billy, the coworkers are starting to be blended together. He said, Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I can hear him saying that. And then as we were leaving, um, you know, he was in his chair, of course, you know, he was very ill. As we were leaving, our backs were, you know, he, he, he was facing our backs. He said, brothers, we turned around. He said, I'm still in the dream. I'm still in the dream. That's the dream that he had when he was in prison by, by the, you know, uh, the Japanese military uh, personnel. He was imprisoned by them. He was tortured by them. During that time, he had a dream. And he saw a bright highway under the shining of the sun. And that, 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 that sun was shining on that highway, on that broad highway. And the highway was so bright and it was going into the, you know, in, into the, you know, the, it was the sunrise. You know, it was going toward the sunrise. It was never ending. And, he said he felt like this is the way of the Lord's recovery, that broad highway. But also, I would say this, this is the way of the Lord's ministry. This is even the way of Brother Lee's ministry, which we believe is the New Testament ministry. And this ministry will bring the Lord back as the sun rising from on high. And so we were meeting him with him one time, and I reminded him of that dream. It's in the, at the end of the book, The God-Man Living. I said, Brother Lee, I read about your dream again, and I realized that we, we all, we brothers here, we are, we are in that dream, Brother Lee. We're in your dream. He said, that's right, Brother Ed. I loved when he said that, Brother Ed. Lots of times he said, Brother Ed, you need to be adjusted. But he's like, that's right, Brother Ed. Um, we're, we were, we're all of us in this room are part of that dream. We're on that broad highway, right, of the Lord's recovery of the Lord's ministry that will bring Christ back as the sun rising from on high. And so he said, brothers, I'm still in the dream. And he said that to us. There were big tears in his eyes. And there were tears in our eyes. We turned around and we went out the door and we just wept. We just wept. That was my last, uh, that's my last memory. My last full memory, Brother Lee, uh, was that. But my point is, is everybody needs shepherding. We don't, Brother Lee, we're not here. We don't want anything. We just love you and we miss you. And then Carrie had the leading what to do after that, which I was so thankful for. Okay, now uh, let's go on. There's so much I could share, but let's go on to be. Paul was infused with God to shine forth God in the ministry of the new covenant, which is the ministry of the Spirit 
the ministry of righteousness, and the ministry of reconciliation. Saints, you might remember this. When we talked about the Lord bringing us into a new revival to bring him back, we talked about three aspects of this new revival. Number one, we need to arrive at the highest peak of the divine revelation. That will bring us into a new revival. Number two, we need to enter into the corporate God-man living, is what we're fellowshipping about here. That will bring us into a new revival. Number three, we need to shepherd people according to God. We need to enter into Christ's wonderful shepherding that we see in Psalm 23. You know, Psalm 22 speaks of Christ's death and resurrection. Psalm 24 speaks of Christ's second coming as the King of glory. Who is the King of glory? He is the King of glory. That's from the Messiah, handled Messiah, you know, seeing that over and over again. Christ comes back as the King of glory. Christ died and resurrected. What is the bridge between his death, resurrection, and his second coming? Shepherding. You see, Christ's organic, pneumatic shepherding is the bridge between his first coming and his second coming. Christ's organic shepherding, if we enter into his wonderful shepherding, it will bring him back. See this? So these three aspects of the New New Testament ministry are these three aspects. The ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of the high peak of the divine revelation. How can I say this? Because Revelation 22.17a says this, the Spirit and the bride say, That means the bride is so saturated and soaked with the Spirit that she speaks with the Spirit as one voice. They become one corporate person, one couple. The Spirit and the bride say. They speak as one person. And who is the Spirit? Spirit is the process and consummated triune God. The bride is the process, regenerated, uh, transformed, and glorified Triportite Church. So, you know what? Uh, how do I say this? Here's what the New Testament is about. Two processes, two consummations, and one marriage. First, you have the process trying God. Then you have us going through a process. Regeneration, sanctification, renewing, transformation, and glorification. Two processes, two consummations. He's consummated to be the Spirit. We're consummated to be the bride. And then there's one marriage. The spirit and the bride say two processes, two consummations, and one marriage. Hallelujah. Amen. Fini. That's the end. Saints, I don't care how you feel tonight. You might feel not so good. I know you're ending. You have a good ending. You have a good ending. The new you're going to be a part of the new Jerusalem, right? So, um, you have the ministry of the Spirit, the high peak of the divine revelation, and the Spirit and the Bride means God became man, so that man might become God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead. Then you have the ministry of righteousness. That's the God man living. What does righteousness mean there? Righteousness is the living out and genuine expression of Christ. It's a subjective righteousness, the living out and genuine expression of Christ. 
That's that's the God man living. That's the ministry of righteousness. Then you have the ministry of reconciliation. That's shepherding according to God. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, he said, the Lord has given us the ministry of reconciliation, and he's put in us the word of reconciliation. Firstly, the first aspect of reconciliation is God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. See, that's the unbelievers, and we used to be there. But now we need to be reconciled further. So God, through Paul, tells the Corinthian, be reconciled to God. In other words, you you were in the outer court. Now you're in the holy place. Now I want you to be fully reconciled to God and be ushered fully into the holy of holies, where there's absolutely no distance between me and you. That is shepherding according to God. Isn't that glorious? That's the three aspects of the new revival. Okay, now Roman numeral four says, during Paul's long imprisonment voyage, he lived a life that was fully dignified with the highest standard of human virtues, expressing the most excellent divine attributes. You know, we shared this, I think, maybe the first night, I'm not sure, but you remember there was this huge storm I can't imagine how frightening that was. You know, uh, I mean, when I'm on a plane and there's turbulence, right? Oh, Lord, take away the turbulence, Lord. Lord, have mercy on me. I know you love me. You know, take away. of course, there's always going to be some turbulence, you know. It doesn't affect my wife at all, but it affects me, you know. Uh, anyway, I always ask the Lord to protect me. I don't trust anybody to protect me except Lord, the Lord. You know, there's there's a there's a descriptor of God in, in this in the Bible. It says, Paul David said, He's the God of my protection. He's the, I like that. He's the God of my protection. Okay. Now, but after this storm, the storm was still going on. But here comes Paul. Here comes this man. There's all these sailors. These are rough guys, right? He says, Men, I advise you to cheer up. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the of the ship. An angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve, you know, said there'll be no loss of life, only of the ship. Then he says this. Here's what the angel of the God, you know, the God who, who he belonged to this God. He served this God. So this angel who represented God, it was God speaking to Paul, said, do not fear, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, cheer up, man. Listen, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. That means everyone who was on that ship belonged to Paul. God has given them to you. God has granted all those. He has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Okay, now you remember uh, the storm, the, the ship broke up on the rocks, and they had to swim the shore, and so they were all wet, and uh, Paul was building a fire. He got some sticks. He was building a fire, and you know what happened? It says uh, <laughs> the natives were looking at him, and all of a sudden, 
he put a bundle of sticks on the fire and a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. You imagine that? A viper, a big poisonous snake. So what did Paul do? It says, it says this. Uh, it, the snake was hanging from his hand. Can you imagine that? And they said to one another, undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, whom though he has been brought safely out of the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook off the snake into the fire. I love the stories in the Bible. He snook off, he shook off, not snook off, he shook off the snake into the fire, and he suffered no harm. And they were watching him. So they expected that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited for a long time and beheld nothing unusual happening to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. He went from being a murderer to a god. Okay, then a lot of things happened, you know. In his voyage, Paul lived and magnified Christ. He lived the life of the God-man Jesus by the spirit of the glorified Jesus. This was Jesus living again on the earth in his divinely enriched humanity. This was the wonderful, excellent, and mysterious God-man who lived in the Gospels, continuing to live in the Acts through one of his many members. This was a living witness of the incarnated, crucified, resurrected, and God-exalted Christ. Now we come to Roman numeral five. In following Paul as our pattern of living the life of a God-man, we need to maintain our joy. Saints, every day, we need joy maintenance. Joy maintenance. We need to enjoy the Lord. Keep your enjoyment of the Lord fresh. Keep your enjoyment of the Lord up to date. So A says we must exercise our spirit to praise the Lord and rejoice in every conference. Rejoice every other day. Rejoice when I feel like it. What does it say? Rejoice when? Always. That's right. You know, in Psalm 119, 164, David said, seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous ordinances. You know what Watchman Nee said? Don't let David beat you in praising the Lord. He praised the Lord seven times a day. You praise the Lord eight times a day. <laughs> Wonderful. Just remember that, brothers. Praise the Lord, one. Praise the Lord, two. Praise the Lord, three. Praise the Lord. If you praise the Lord eight times, you're going to be in the spirit, don't you think? Caleb, don't forget to say, praise the Lord. The devil hates to hear those three words. Praise the Lord. Okay, now let's come to B. He says, I, this is Watchman Nee talking at the end of his life. I maintain my joy, so please do not worry. I hope you will take care of yourself and be filled with joy in your heart. From a letter written in prison by Watchman Nee, to his sister-in-law, April 22nd, 1972. You know, he wasn't, Brother Nee couldn't say anything about the Lord. If he mentioned the Lord's name, they'd rip up the letter. So what did he say to his sister-in-law? I maintain my joy. She knew that joy was Christ. So he said, take care of yourself 
and you be filled with joy in your heart. That's to be filled with Christ in your heart. Now, Roman number six says, we need to fall as our pa- Paul, Paul, as our pattern in of living the life of a God man. We need to experience Christ in his inward parts. Christ's inner being, his inward affection, is absolutely focused on his believers who are the members of his body, the church. We need to be one with Christ in his inward parts, his inward affection toward the church with all the believers. Roman numeral seven says, in following Paul as our pattern of living the life of a God-man, we need to take Christ as our living for his expression by the bountiful supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. And he says, Christ lived in Paul to be his life, and Paul lived Christ for Christ to be his living. He says, Paul enjoyed the bountiful supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ as the compound spirit. This enjoyment is for the body and for God's priestly service. The saints, I just want to make this statement. Just because I'm going through the rest of this outline like an Amtrak train, uh, don't minimize any of these points. Every point is full of riches, and you can see a lot of the verses. And he says the way to set our mind on the Spirit is to set our mind on God's Word. The more we allow the light of the Scriptures to penetrate our mind, the more the thinking of Christ as the slave Savior will be our thinking, and we will have the mind of Christ for the body of Christ. In following Paul as our pattern, of living the life of a God-man, we need to experience Christ as the inner operating God, to hold him forth as the word of life. So A says, God operates in us both the inner willing and the outer working for his good pleasure. To hold forth Christ as the word of life, I really like this, is to apply, present, and offer him to others by living him out. Then Roman numeral 10 says, in following Christ, Paul, as our pattern of living the life of a God-man, we need to aspire to gain Christ, be found in Christ, and know Christ subjectively. Saints, I couldn't help thinking of Job 42, verses 5 and 6. Remember Job? You know Job was a long book. Finally, Job saw God. He said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Now listen to this. In the New Testament sense, seeing God equals gaining God. Seeing God equals gaining God. To gain God is to receive God in his element, in his life, and in his nature, so that we may be constituted with God. Now this is the footnote what I'm going to read to you. The more we see God, know God, and love God, the more we abhor ourselves and the more we deny ourselves. I really like that. Now, A says we should be one with Paul to count all things as refuse that we may gain, win the Christ whom we have received. Paul aspired to have his whole being immersed in and saturated with Christ that all who observed him might find him fully in Christ. 11 says, Roman number 11, in following, Paul is our pattern of living the life of a God-man. We need to take Christ 
as our lived out righteousness. Paul wanted to live not in his own righteousness, but in the righteousness of God and to be found in such a transcendent condition, expressing God by living Christ, not by keeping the law. The overcomers who live out Christ as their righteousness in this age will become his bride at his marriage dinner, and they will be clothed in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So that's all our, when we live out Christ as our subjective righteousness, every detail becomes a, a righteousness. So we become clothed with the, with his righteousness as, as the righteousnesses of the saint. In following Paul as our pattern of living the life of a God man, we need to take Christ as our goal. We must continually exercise to remember the things which are behind. No, it's, it's to forget the things. You know, I do that to make sure you're awake. You know that. To forget the things which are behind and stretch forward day by day to gain more of the vast unexplored territory of the Christ before us. We must pursue toward our goal. I cannot tell you, saints, how much this means to me, that every day I have this prayer, Lord, this is my goal today. I want to have the fullest enjoyment of Christ today. And today, I want to have the fullest gaining of Christ. That's our goal. Okay, Roman number 13, and following Paul as our pattern of living the life of a God-man, we need to experience Christ as our virtues. Now, I'm going to skip over to Roman numeral 14. And following Paul as our pattern of living the life of a God-man, we need to learn Christ as our secret. We already spoke about that. Roman numeral 15. And following Paul as our pattern of living the life of a God-man, we need to take Christ as our power. On the one hand, we are able to do all things in Christ who empowers us. On the other hand, we can do nothing apart from him. Now let's come to Roman numeral 16. In following Paul as our pattern of living the life of a God-man, we need to take Christ as our expectation. So, uh, you know, this conference, International Chinese Conference, the t- overall title of that conference is 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. I have fought the good fight, message one. I have finished the course, message two. I have kept the faith, message three. Henceforth, there will be laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me, but not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Message four is loving the Lord's appearing. Message five is receiving Christ as the, as the reward of the crown of righteousness. So we need to, oh, there's so much I could say on this, but I'll just say that much. Finally, Roman numeral 17. Hallelujah, we made it to the end. The corporate living of the God-men, a living that is the reality of the body of Christ, will end this age and will bring Christ back to take, possess, and rule over the earth with these God-men in the kingdom age. Okay, now we're supposed to pray with our neighbor, right, John? Okay, let's pray with our neighbor for a minute or so, and then the brothers will tell us uh, what to do from here.